0: Hey guys, this is Our Worst Today. Welcome back to the second episode of the podcast. This is the intro bit that I'm recording uh, after the main episode that me and the Filthy American uh, have recorded. Just want to let you guys know that uh, the audio is uh, or hopefully should be better this time than it was last time as I've actually gotten a, a decent mic as you'll probably be able to tell. I'm still playing around with uh, audio editing. This is my first time messing around with audacity and like noise suppression and noise gates in a long time. So uh, if there's any noticeable issues or problems, I apologize. Just let me know um, and I'll try to resolve them for next time. But yeah, uh, thanks for tuning in and enjoy the episode. Hey guys, welcome to Militant Muckrakers. This is your host, R. Warsaday. With the filthy American. What's going on, guys? And uh, today we're coming in, Friday, uh, December third. Back at you with a second episode, bringing some new content to the floor.
1: Seriously, so we got a lot going on in the world as of late. I mean, a good bit. We got what we have going on. We got uh, Russia possibly invading Ukraine soon. We got the new COVID variant just dropped out of South Africa. Um, A lot of interesting things. Oh, we also have the Gisley-Maxwell trial going on, so not can't leave that out. Mm -hmm.
0: Oh yeah, Um, it's a lot happening. Uh, I I figured today we start with Russia and Ukraine. It's a pretty big one for most people out there in terms of looking at global conflicts. Uh, So for everyone who hasn't been aware, uh, there's recently been uh, a slew of uh, escalatory moves from both russia uh and what's known as the csto um and uh the sort of u.s ukraine uh although uh you know uh, western forces of nato uh, which are kind of seen as the opposite coalition to the csto um and nato uh i mean i assume most people know this but nato is a north atlantic um treaty um Organization and CSTO is uh, the basically like Eastern equivalent of it, uh, known as the Collective Security Treaty Organization. Um, And they're both just kind of these major uh, conglomerations of different sort of states that work in unison militarily to secure regions. Uh, You know, a, a a very easy way to think of it is, you know, basically NATO is just all of the groups that were fighting for the west on the cold war and CSTO is all the ex-soviet states um or aligned uh, countries uh but recently russia um in a move that brought a lot of condemnation uh from the west <clears throat> has amassed i think the number is close to 114,000 troops um all across their uh, western border with Latvia, Ukraine, Belarus, and uh, near Crimea as well. And this has prompted in turn both um, a lot of Ukrainian troops, I believe, Mm -hmm. over now, I don't know how many they moved, but I know in total now there's estimated to be around 125,000 or so, about half of the Ukrainian active military um, in the... Western, or sorry, excuse me, in the eastern parts of the country in a response to this move by Russia. And uh, similarly, a lot of both NATO equipment from various countries has been moved towards Ukraine, and uh, those sort of uh, eastern European countries, as well as Russian equipment and the like, has been moved to the west. And both sides are kind of just doing military exercises and posturing around the border.
1: What are you? <clears throat> what, what do you think the um, the, how realistic do you think it is that Russia will actually invade Ukraine in the next couple of months?
0: So, I don't think um, I don't think this scenario is exactly what's going to lead to the conflict. I mean, um, anything could happen, and if and we've been proven, I don't think anyone could have really seen Crimea going down the way it happened. For a lot of people who don't know, um, in 2014, there was an annexation of crimea which um ukraine um you know believes is as uh, part of ukraine and russia believes is part of russia and um, essentially in this region of crimea which there is very high support of russia and a lot of uh, ethnic russians and russian speakers um i believe it was february 27 2014 um a lot of um Russian soldiers who were wearing masks and had no insignia entered not only the parliament of Crimea, but um, a number of uh, important strategic locations across the country um, and essentially uh, annexed it over to Russia within a a number of days. Um, And this was condemned by a lot of groups in the world, but because of the high support that Crimea had for Russian unification and um, because of Uh, the Russian military presence and the war in... um, I don't know... Actually, I don't know if the the Donbass War had started at that point already. I know it started in 2014 as well, but I'm actually not sure if it was before or after Crimea that incident happened. But either way, um, I I don't think that uh, Ukraine wanted to get into a, a, a war over it, so it just kind of happened. But now a lot of people are thinking that it's possible that Russia wants to grab land that would connect the separatist states in Ukraine that are a part of the Donbass war and use that, uh, use a region in the area to sort of um, connect that to Crimea, which would give them this massive front line against Ukraine, a uh, united front line.
1: Right, right. It, well, listen, I'm going to sound really ignorant here, but I don't, I, I understand Russia's motivation to invade Crimea and the Donbass, you know get access to ports and stuff like that. But what what is the, What would be the motivation to invade the entire country? It seems like it would, um, you know, uh, use a lot of resources that they don't need to use necessarily.
0: Yeah, I mean, so essentially, um, Russia has always considered Ukraine as an illegitimate state in a lot of ways. Um, they, you know, uh, have been historically in the past very suppressive and... Um, you know, um, against uh, efforts during the period of the Soviets for Ukraine to become more of an autonomous region. And, um, obviously during the breakup of the Soviet States in the nineties, I believe, uh, Ukraine was one of the States that Russia was very against gaining its own independence of the country, as opposed to becoming part of the newly, um, you know, uh, created Russian Federation. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, speaking to that, Putin has made several remarks, even over this last year, in which he himself doubted Ukraine's legitimacy to become its to 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 maintain its own statehood, um, and and this is this has not been like the first time uh, he's done this either. Uh, and so, it's there's been a lot of, um, you know, sort of uh, Russian, not only like like state propaganda, but just sort of um, sentiment among some. Members of the nationalist population who believe that states like belarus ukraine uh, some people even going to the baltic states like latvia estonia lithuania that they should be part of russia um due to their you know due to the fact that they used to be owned by russia um i should say though that's it's a lot more focused on ukraine and belarus than other areas um same thing uh if you go i think to certain parts of the Caucasus as well there's also some of that sentiment which is why you had of course the georgian wars and all that sort of stuff um but yeah i, I mean there's a lot of um you know i i think even in one of the speeches putin referred to ukrainians and russians as the same people um right. you know sort of suggesting that a unification was needed to bring these people together Obviously, placing himself as the great, you know, uniter <laughs> to yeah. to to bring the Ukrainian people back into the fold of the Russia, you know, so Russian what, mother.
1: Right. What, what, if if everything did kick off, and let's say Russia did invade Ukraine, or you know, invade more of Ukraine, what do you think? Or how likely do you think there would be an actual response from the West? Because it seems like the West is not in a position to do anything to respond.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, uh, so I should have, I, I didn't really answer your question before. I don't, I don't think that it's going to think anything's going to happen particularly soon. And I mean, um, and, and of course, you know, watch me be proven wrong in you know, a week from now, like <laughs> fucking world war three starts, but, um, just because there's been a lot of, um, evidence of this sort of situation in the past, just kind of fizzling out to nothing essentially, you know, Putin and Russia using these sort of uh, pressure moves and buildup of military to leverage um, their position in not only negotiations, but just the international scene. You know, they don't want to lose face, essentially. Um, And in a lot of ways, um, you know, I I think Putin and Russia do want to sweep in. You know, they do want to not only uh, unite the separatist states of the d n r or the dnr and the lnr which are the two separatist states in eastern ukraine that are fighting them and uh, are fighting ukraine and are essentially uh, almost entirely sponsored uh, by russia and filled with uh, ranks of uh, russian mercenaries and uh, little green men as they're called uh, which is basically russian soldiers without insignia um or proper authorization but just sort of sent there in a, a very anonymous uh subtle covert uh way of fighting right. and um so you know it, it's been well known the separatists have been heavily backed by russia for a long time um so i think it you know i think they, they would like to sweep in there to a certain extent and and not not only unite crimea to those separatist states but take the whole of ukraine you know in, in a perfect world i don't think i, I think they i think Putin and probably a lot of Russians also realize that's not gonna work out as easy as, you know, it sounds just because of the international response and the fact that NATO would almost definitely go to war um over a situation like that where Russia tried to take over the entirety of
1: Ukraine. Right. Um, so it seems that Russia's in the position just to continue with the proxy war. That's probably the best bet.
0: Yeah, proxy war to put pressure on Ukraine, but especially I mean, you know, it's um it's like it's a casus you know they want a casus belly they want a justification they want a reason to invade and if they put a bunch of troops in the border and sort of sit there and taunt them and you know stick their tongue out you know one all it takes is one ukrainian troop you know fires a bullet gets a little bit trigger happy all it takes is one wrong artillery strike in the area you know hits a, a russian troop convoy or a vehicle or a plane gets shot down and you know now they have a reason now they have a justification and they can say well look we were provoked and we you know we this was just an appropriate countermeasure and that you know countermeasure turns into an offensive and et etc cetera, etc cetera.
1: russia's looking for their gulf of time
0: exactly yeah exactly they're looking for that 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 spark that they can use in the especially in the international scene to say NATO shouldn't be involved or other countries shouldn't be involved. This is an internal dispute that Ukraine started, um, which is all, the only way they would be able to take over the territory without invoking at least some type of Western response. Because I'd be very doubtful that in the in any case of Russian invasion um, of Ukraine, that, that NATO would stand by and do nothing, which is why Russia has used this sort of proxy force of the separatists um, as right. a way to separate themselves from the conflict
1: right yeah interesting stuff pretty, pretty hmm. interesting. It's, it seems like i mean you know you know you see this for the past 20 years that's for the most part any type of conflict that occurs especially in eastern europe or in europe or any anywhere around the world barring the middle east it's mostly barring the middle east and africa it mostly takes this forward where it's more of like kind of a shadow war, where things are manipulated across borders, um, you know, it's no longer an actual confrontation with troops as it was, you know, 67 years ago.
0: Yeah, there's, I think, uh, I mean, into the 20th century and onward, there's been an increasing amount of proxy wars, especially if you're looking at the Cold War period and then later, uh, you know, the superpowers, it became less of... An on the boots type affair, especially with the introduction of nuclear warfare and the fact that no one really wanted to poke anyone who had nukes. Um, so, all the countries who had nukes, which of course are going to be the power, you know, countries with the most amount of power and tech and money, um, are more likely to resort to these types of proxy conflicts just because they don't want to be in the position where they might have nukes fired at them or in a position where they might have to fire nukes. Because while every general loves war, they also know that getting to the nuclear, you know, point of war is not a situation that anyone wants to be in. Yeah. Even, uh, I mean, you know, you can find dozens of stories from the Cold War where shit was about to pop off, but because one officer decided not to flip a switch or press a button or send a certain alert, you know, we managed, you know, managed to avoid a a nuclear, uh, you know, a holocaust of a of an apocalypse of a just you know horrible you know fireball that consumes the entire world just you know based on uh because some russian saw some birds on a radar screen and was about to send a message to the kremlin saying we're you know getting nukes, send them out um or in, I, I mean i think there's from both sides you can find situations where americans and soviets and i think i mean i bet if you went and looked at chinese you know rec- records which don't exist i'm sure there were instances which uh that situation might have been a little bit too close for comfort in the history
1: books. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. The, only, um, the only, I guess, you know, if we talk about like, you know, traditional combat, we're getting real traditional here. If you, uh, What's that? What's the place in between India and China? I forgot the name of that, that border area where they literally only fight each other with like sticks and stones. And like, uh, like Kashmir? Yeah, it's near to Kashmir. It might just be Kashmir, but you know what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's the province of uh, uh, Jammu and Kashmir, which is kind of in that area. It's like in between Pakistan and India and China, and they all kind of say that they own different parts of it. I think I think it's that contested area because there's another area on the western, or sorry, on on the eastern side of India, all the way over by Bhutan. But I'm but I don't think that's the, the area that's that's has like those videos and those photos always come from like brawling and like beating each other up with sticks.
1: Right. But you know what I'm talking about. Those videos are yeah, actually yeah. insane.
0: Oh yeah. Like having these like five thousand foot altitude brawls <laughs> and they're like yeah. wearing like parkas and
1: <laughs> all have riot shields and yeah, it's, it's like, th- yeah,
0: they're throwing rocks at each other and shit and snowballs, yeah. Um Yeah, that actually I was reading um uh, for um, some stuff I was doing, I was uh, read a uh, a bit of a book of uh, as an excerpt of a book on the partition between India and Pakistan, and that region was being talked about Jammu and Kashmir about how it was a big contentious area and still is in a lot of ways because the like the the laws for figuring out like who was voting for where was like really not well done. So there's, like, all these borders where people, like, weren't really sure. when Because when the British were also drawing the borders for partition, they were using maps that were, like, 60 years outdated. So they right. just, like, literally would draw the line through, like, towns. And then they would just, like, have to, like, figure it out afterwards. Because then these towns were, like, are we part of Pakistan or are we part of India? <laughs> right, right. Um, or, like, they would draw them, like, through a dam. And then it's, like, well, how do you manage a dam that's half-owned by two different countries like it's just like all these technical issues that you don't really think about until you get down to the situation and i think the voting one was a big problem and also the fact that Jammu and kashmir are like part of like those um uh, like i think it was i don't know if it used to be a princely state or if it used to be more of an autonomous state in, in india's history but it's one of those where the even into the 70s and the 80s and even nowadays there's still like, uh, resistance forces and like uh, Jammu and Kashmir Liberation Army um, type of like militants right. uh, that are sort of waging a very, very, very uh, slow um, guerrilla war against whoever they can, I guess, both Pakistan and India.
1: Right. It, it is insane how, how much violence was caused uh, during the period of decolonization um, in the partition in particular. Um, you would think the, uh, the British Empire could have done better at that, but, you know, obviously they didn't.
0: Yeah, it's, it was this really um, lazy effort where they basically waited until things were so bad that they were just, like, catastrophic. Um, I mean, there was, there was various pushes throughout the 20s and the 30s and the 40s, especially with the help of people like uh, Muhammad Gandhi, um, that were... Uh, able to sort of gain more autonomy for uh, India, especially with, like, the introduction of, like, the Indian National Congress um, and these different efforts to sort of democratize India to some extent or give it more, like, ways for people to um, exert political power in the system. But uh, by 1946, there was a lot of um, religious violence was just really boiling over. Uh, And so they basically waited until the very last moment to try to, like, figure out how to partition the country. And then by that point, they were like, all right, if we don't partition the country in, like, the next, like, year, it's going to, like, be full-blown civil war. Right. Um. And so then they partitioned it by 1947. Um. And it was – there was still a lot of violence. Uh, there was – actually, following partition, the migration that happened between India and Pakistan were millions of Muslims went to either pakistan or east bang or east pakistan which would be later known as bangladesh once it gained independence um and then the millions of hindus and uh sikhs and uh some dalits too uh who went in between the countries i I think that the dalits went to both pakistan and india but the hindus and sikhs obviously only went to india um it was actually the largest human migration event in recorded history i believe um because it was just such a massive amount, like just tens and millions of people um you know going in between these two countries because they were scared of the violence as as they well should have been because man it was violent it was it was bad, uh, especially if you read some of the stories about like both religions wanted to prevent the other religion from desecrating their women, so okay. you have these cases where uh villages would just slaughter like all the women in their villages to prevent the other side what? from like, yeah, dude, it's, it's gnarly. It's this one. I uh, just, to give you an example, this is just one small village. They had all, they had all the women in the village jump down a well. And the book I was reading said about 80 to 90 women jumped down a well until so many were jumping down that they they weren't dying because there were so many bodies at the bottom of the well. They were like cushioning their fall. What the fuck? Yeah. Literally like husbands, brothers, sons fathers all killed like all the female like members of their family and it was usually like a voluntary thing where like the women were kind of like submitting to be killed or like we're like oh yeah of course i have to be killed because otherwise i'm going to be like abducted or like sexually assaulted or uh like desec, you know desecrated by like the opposite religion and it was a big thing abduction especially that like people did not want like the women of their religion being taken to like the other country because that was a really big thing at the time where they would just be like kind of taken and you would never see them again or like uh, they would come back but they'd have to leave their children because like the family wouldn't consider those children legitimate because they were like children of like right, of, a, right. of a of a hindu or children of a muslim and they'd be like that that like that's gonna like pollute our religious bloodline so like women who had children with their abductors had to leave them behind if they ever came back to their original country. It was a really messed up period, and especially like, the yeah. citizenship laws from it. Like, it's it just it's just so deep. But yeah, there was a lot of violence in general.
1: That's incredibly sad. i never heard about that.
0: Yeah, it, and it is like well, I mean, it's, I, that was only like one example. It, the book I had had many <laughs> examples. Unfortunately, it was brutal. Right, right.
1: Right. Well, the world hasn't gotten too much better since mm-hmm. then, but. You
0: know. I mean, yeah, I mean, marginally Uh, human, uh, human quality of life's up a little bit. Child, child, child mortality rate is down, hopefully. Um, yeah, um, getting back to, uh, Ukraine and Russia, I think it should be interesting if we talked a little bit about some of the other countries that are in the region that I think have been a part of the discussion a little bit, but, um, some people have kind of missed out on in terms of talking about it. I think Belarus is going to play a really important role. Yeah. Uh, in whatever happens, um, we've seen the escalation of tensions between Belarus and its neighboring countries recently. Um, we had a massive conflict at the Polish border, uh, when Belarus decided to, uh, try to, to use migrant warfare, uh, t- <laughs> to disrupt the border operations by literally recruiting and luring, um thousands of uh, Iraqi uh, refugees and immigrants um, to Minsk, which is the capital of Belarus, and then uh, transporting them, directing them, and giving them supplies to cross over or to build camps near the Polish border. And they also did this to some extent to, I believe, Lithuanian and Latvian borders, too.
1: Right, and that was all over. That in particular was over a whole spat with EU sanctions. I think so. Yeah. yeah. This is what an interesting form of warfare, man? That was that was I, I never seen anything like that in my life. Um, just straight up bombarding a border with with uh, migrants, bro. It's insane.
0: Yeah, and I feel bad for the the migrants too, because they were just you know they they a lot of them. This apparently, because I've actually been reading about this sort of stuff that Belarus have been doing for a while now, um, and this is like over the past year, and a lot of it just was sort of unconnected cases of like people crossing over borders. I didn't really sort of see it as a as a concentrated effort until this sort of happened recently. Um, whereas it's like these scams where they promised them like safe, um, like refuge in Belarus for a right. certain amount of money and then when they pay the money and they get to belarus they say actually you can't stay here but we but we'll give you the tools and the opportunity to cross over into other countries <laughs> right, right and it's this really fucked up thing where, like they're giving them this false promise luring them there on lies and then like making them go through this incredible hardship of like usually go like you know on foot crossing through these really snowy forests and you know, cold Eastern European environments and then having to face off against Polish border guards, which no one wants to do. Um, <laughs> especially if you're a migrant, you don't want to like fucking get tear gassed or stun flashed or water cannoned or, you know.
1: Right. I remember um, I remember what, when the whole thing was going on, what was that, about a week and a half ago? It was really the peak. Um, I-, I came across this video, I don't know how authentic it is, but it claimed to be uh, a video depicting, um, like I don't know what they were. They, I'm assuming they were, uh, like Belarus military or something along those lines. And they were in this room with uh, probably like a hundred, maybe 150 men that were migrants, and they were informing them how they should attack the border guards and the proper way to go about it. And it was pretty insane to see that.
0: Yeah, actually, I remember seeing that same video. Um, yeah, again, I, I, yeah, same thing. I never really saw if it was like the veracity of it or how true it was, but I do remember seeing that as well. It was very interesting if it was true. I mean, we know for a fact, at least from what I've seen in this video, it could already be confirmed or debunked or something at this point. I mean, um, I, we're just basing this off what we've seen, but the it confirmed info I did see that is that they were handing out both hatchets, wire cutting tools, and um, other... And I think that was it for tools, but they were giving them other supplies for both cutting fences, but also for building the camps. Uh, I remember them. there was specifically videos of them dropping off like planks of wood and like cloth and uh, tarps and stuff uh, for when they were camping out in the woods. And this is the Belarusian military, I'm saying, are dropping off these supplies. Um, And... uh, yeah, but that that attacking one especially, and there was also some allegations that are, that are again unconfirmed that they were arming some of the migrants with um, like flash grenades or stun grenades or something. But I know all uh, the really? old, all the videos that I saw at least that had stun or flash grenades were ones that were being thrown by Polish uh, border guards uh, right. because there were a number of those. But yeah, no, it was a very it's a it's a new interesting form of warfare. Um, I think uh human warfare definitely in a in a time when uh there's going to be a lot of uh population um growth in some areas that's going to lead um to some I mean you know the European mi- migrant crisis has been going on for a good couple of like what one or two decades now I mean it's obviously been an issue for much longer but in terms of the, uh, the situation we see now that a lot of um, that you know plays into a lot of contemporary european politics uh, revolves around the current mi- migrant crisis that's been exa- especially uh, exasperated by um, the iraq war and um, other conflicts in the middle east which have uh, ironically been <laughs> kick-started by western <laughs> forces usually mm-hmm. and then result in the those people f- you know fleeing to western countries because you know it started the wars, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> but insane. uh no nah, um
1: it's it's it it's do huh? oh, no no, I was just gonna say it's it's insane whenever you see governments uh play dirty like that, you know like like oh like literally like it's not even denied attempt to hide it at all, like you think about what Russia did, um uh, you know probably like, was they probably about ten months ago now but, Like seen bombing. um you know they tried to have him or you know, Putin's regime attempted to have him assassinated and then they just locked him up as soon as he landed back in Russia. And he was rotten away. And then you know that was the whole thing with Belarus when they uh they basically intercepted that that um, plane that came into their airspace. Claiming the there was like a bomb threat. I think I remember that oh yeah,
0: oh yeah when when Navalny's plane oh yeah. And they took it down, um
1: and I, don't, uh, I don't know if it was Navalny's plan. It was, um, what was, he was... Oh,
0: it was, he, it was some guy who would, like, it was, it was a journalist, I think, who yeah, had spoken, yeah. like, poorly on the Belarusian regime. Um, I believe.
1: I, I want to say, it was something, like, he ran, I was reading his, like, like, a little, like, you know, page about him. It was saying that he, he was the guy that was, that was essentially running, it was the biggest, uh, like Telegram channel in Belarus. Um, oh, it was, really? It was, like incredibly anti-regime. Um, yeah, um, and that was like the whole thing. And so, mm-hmm. like, I don't know where he was flying from or to where, but he, you know, his plane just clipped over their airspace, and they're like, "All right, we got him." And, like, calling a fake bomb threat, intercept that piece. Yeah, and then
0: just arrest him illegally. Yeah, I remember the Belarusian election. Man, that shit was crazy. Um, uh, 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 by the way uh, uh, uh a, a stolen election uh, not like uh you know uh people claiming that there's uh you know millions of fake ballots floating in michigan and arizona uh stolen i'm talking <laughs> like uh you know literally you know there there were the every single almost voting and polling station in the country posted results that contradicted what the government said um you know, we're we're talking about literally. They switched the results. Like right. there there yeah. there's evidence to show that. I mean, if you go to now and look at the the, the percentage, it says um, Lukashenko uh, Lukashenko, who's the sort of the the uh, interim or the guy who was in office and who's who's seized power, um, has about eighty percent of the vote, and uh, Svietlana, who was the opposition. Um, has about 10 percent and if i remember the numbers were about switched that they think she received about 70 percent of the vote um especially in in, uh like heavy metro heavy urban areas um and that he literally like they just fucking swapped the ballot i mean it's it's crazy it was such a stolen election and um and and it showed i mean people went out in numbers there were protests for days on days and days and a lot of the ways i followed it was through telegram uh through instagram through other social medias that um sort of gave us insight to belarus that other places weren't having at the time um uh but yeah i mean it was um i mean uh it it was wild i mean people from the her campaign the opposition got arrested um you know There was lots of political arrests, lots of like, you know, sort of unmarked vans speeding around at protests, throwing people in them and, you know, kind of speeding off. They weren't heard from again until, you know, I mean, some, some, I think there's still some who are probably locked up. I mean, Belarus is kind of a, I mean, they're a bit of an authoritarian, you know, they got, they definitely, uh, they got that shit on lock and they're, they were not going to let people, you know, manage to. Disrupt the election plans that they had in place. I, I think he's been in power for like almost twenty years now, or something. It's been a while.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um. It, but, uh, it's it's just it's it. It really is, especially somebody you know if you live in the West. Um, it really is a jarring thing to see. You know, I'm not going to be all get into like conspiracy theories and stuff. But like, whenever you see like the kind of like that the the people that are running the show, truly, maybe not the front men kind of like show their hand for just a moment. And, you know, it's, it's like, you know, there's some dirty stuff. It's like, it's not going our way. We're going to change that real quick. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Let's see. Yeah, he's been in power since 1994. Um, He's the... He's referred to himself as Europe's last dictator. <laughs> it's a self-report. <laughs> uh, yeah, bro. Um uh, Yeah, there was... Yeah. couple... To, I think over half a million people across the country protesting. 1,300 injured, four dead, 32,000 arrested, 50 missing, and there was also a number of um, uh, uh, journalists I think that were also disrupted in their abilities to report on it uh, when it was happening. Both foreign and 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 especially since we you know the hence the telegram guy, definitely domestically as well.
1: Right, right. Right. Just like that, man. the so, yeah. state comes through and picks you up. So mm-hmm. She opens all over. Speaking of the state stepping in and uh, you know, taking you down, what's going on with Just like Maxwell? What's going on here? Dude,
0: crazy. I've been reading some of those transcripts. I posted some of them on my page recently. Yeah. Um but I was also uh just reading them um some of the ones I didn't post because they were, it was getting a bit lengthy and a lot of it was just kind of there was a lot of technical jargon like you know like lawyer speak which was just kind of like right. I was like all right well I mean this is it's 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 interesting to read but people are not going to understand I I barely understand this and I have a good grasp of it <laughs> like, right, right. um but no I mean some of the I mean it's very the first uh witness jane I believe um is her alias or I I guess she's probably just it's just jane doe I guess that's the point but um I mean it was very very telling uh her testimony, and you know she's implicated um laying and and being there and participating in the um you know the illegal activities that she and Epstein took place in and dealing with children, especially and underage young girls uh yeah i'm I'm in surprise uh is still alive. We'll see how long mm-hmm. it goes,
1: yeah, I mean. Yeah, I, I was reading it today. Apparently, uh, the existence of Epstein's black book was confirmed. So apparently, there is some, like, documentation that Epstein kept. Like, you know, there was dirt that he was collecting on people. Um, yeah, so- I
0: mean, I, I think I think there was aspects of it that were released years ago. Uh, I don't know if it was the full thing. But I do know that there was, like, lists. Because they had, they had, like, it was, like, a lot of it was just, like, people's names and numbers. Right. Um, so I'm assuming there's probably, like, you know, it's probably, like a, I don't know, like, a, I don't know, like a, a super black book that's, like, has, like, the real dirty shit in it. But that's probably might be, that shit might be burned at this point. Um, at, at least the main part, I think, is black book just contained, like, contact info, basically. But wow, okay. it's very telling because it shows who he was in contact with mm-hmm. and especially some people who he had, like, you know... I think he had like five different numbers for like Prince Andrew, <laughs> you know, stuff like that where you're like, all right, well, these guys are more than just like acquaintances. Like they were chatting, you know, they, they had different ways to reach out to each other. And then the, but the big thing was recently that, uh, the pilot of the plane or one yeah. of the pilots confirmed a bunch of the people who were there, which was like, like Bill Clinton and Donald Trump and Chris Tucker and Prince Andrew and... Um, there was a couple other people too. It's
1: it's it's. I mean, if I came to you, you know. Okay, when did all the MCU stuff came out? Like a few years ago or so. Yeah. I
0: mean, oh, well, okay. I mean, there have been like allegations against him right. for years, right. but I think yeah, I think like in the past. I mean, whenever like the most recent testimonies came out, that were like people were like, all right, lock him up because I mean, I I know people have been like, you know, in the same way that people were like talking about Weinstein for years. People have been talking about Epstein. But Epstein especially right. more. Right. Epstein was, like, this well-known... People were like, all right, this dude's, like, a total creep. Which is right. even why... um, allegedly some people who had been in contact with... or, like, who had been associated with him in the past like cut ties over, like, in the 2010s because of that reason. Because a lot of the stuff he does date ba- dates back to, like, the 90s and early yeah. 2000s. He's been um, around
1: for a while. Like, I've heard somebody always had power and money and yeah
0: like. yeah I'm, I'm honestly i don't really know that much about epstein's background aside from like the past 20 years i just know he's involved in a lot of hollywood business and that sort of stuff
1: from my understanding and this is the the oddest thing about his story is that um people still to this day don't really know where all of his money came from it's it's some mm. kind of this weird i want to say I, I was watching a documentary um on him recently, and I want, want to say it was something along the lines of he lied about his about his like uh, his degree or where he went to university or something like that, and he got a job. I want to say on Wall Street, um, and then he just kind of popped up, and then like, from then on, kind of started like just kind of hanging around and made a name for himself. But just it's on. On yeah, exactly. But think about this: if I came to you, like let's just say five six years ago, or if you just went to anybody, right, or like one of your family members, or one of your friends. You're like, hey, listen, there is an island, okay, in the Caribbean, <laughs> where politicians, uh, wealthy people, powerful people, princes go, and it's basically like a pedophile island. You would think I'm crazy, like it doesn't seem like. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like it literally yeah. is like the wet dream of a conspiracy theorist, right? Yeah, like, no, it, it's I, it's,
0: it it's kind of yeah. It's like the. I mean, there, there's a reason that like those. I was, I've been watching a lot of superhero shows recently. Every single time those motherfuckers got a, a supervillain's got an island, it's always an island. Like, it's always <laughs> it's always some island. I, I, I was watching, I just watched the new James Bond recently, another island. And, like, if you watch, like, 90% of the James Bonds, it's, like, always islands. It's really convenient just because it's, like, it's this perfect place. Jurassic Park, another island. It's this perfect place where you can kind of, like, just do any of this, like, crazy, insane shit. And no one has, like, any jurisdiction over you, really. Because the government just doesn't give a fuck. Like they don't give a fuck about what happens on islands. They're just like it happens, <laughs> like and and you know no one's you know coming around to see unless you have like I mean I know uh, obviously once people found out about Epstein's island there was a ton of people who like tried to I mean not only tried to but who did manage to like get onto it yeah and like yeah. Like, like record some videos and there was also like a, a bunch of people who like flew drones over it and recorded that sort of stuff too but obviously until they're like highlighted you know highlighted and sensationalized in media uh, you know people just don't know what happens until then so you can kind of get away with like a lot of nefarious shit um but no it's, it's it's definitely a super villain move like if you have an island and you're just doing shit on it like you, there's a reason that or that that or you just like hate society and you just like had a joker moment
1: Exactly. It's either one, either you're like just somebody that's trying to be a hermit and never hurt anybody in your life, and you just want to, I don't know, grow tomatoes or potatoes or something like that, or, or you're, you're like
0: a, a human sex trafficker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one or the other. Here, yeah. yeah. There's it's no like in between. Yeah.
1: I, I don't know how long she's gonna live. Now. I mean, I don't know if she's gonna if she's gonna be off. I, I feel like I, I I do think that at this point, I don't know if like her like offing her is on the table. I, I don't know. I feel like that would. I don't know. I don't know. You know, nothing's. I Nothing's off the table at this point. I mean, like, like, literally, there's an island of pedophiles. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm saying, it, I just, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen to her. I mean, I guess they might just lock her up and then it'll be all done. But who knows? Yeah,
0: it'll be interesting to see what comes out in court because obviously she must. I mean, she must. You know, the fact that she was with Epstein for so many things and that. A lot of the testimony has placed her as being like not only a middleman between a lot of these young girls and Epstein, but also being heavily involved with talking with the other like, you know, politicians or businessmen um, or just individuals that were involved with Epstein and, um, you know, specifically the, the, you know, the young girls they trafficked. Um you know, she knows a lot. She She's very well versed in, in his de- dealings, his history. They were partners forever. I'm sure she was very heavily involved in financial matters. Um, You know, she doesn't seem like a particularly dumb person. So I'm assuming that she knew what was happening and, you know, was very full aware of, of all the, you know, ins and outs. So, I mean, the question is, you know... um, If the same, you know, uh, you know, uh, it, you know, assuming uh, hypothetically that Epstein uh, perhaps did not kill himself um, Mm -hmm. and that it was organized in some way by someone else. Do they still see her as much of a threat as Epstein or have they either a worked something out with her already to prevent, you know, being like basically don't say shit and we won't kill you. Um, or are they too worried that it's or you know the, the spotlight's on her and that killing her would be, um, you know, like the, confirming both. The yeah. And himself and it's like, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I'm I'm assuming that e- even though I know that like there was this whole shit with like with Epstein's you know camera being fucking up and the guards you know supposedly napping through like a 2 hour period where they didn't see shit and <laughs> you know people hearing a scream from Epstein's cell but nothing being done and like all and and also Epstein's um, t- well, I think it was his cellmate just happened to be, like, a fucking ex-mobster. <laughs>
1: like, Yeah, a yeah, fucking gorilla, they put a gorilla up yeah, they put a
0: cell, fucking, yeah, they put a fucking they a gorilla up, like, it's like an ex-mobster hitman <laughs> in the same cell. And they're like, no,
1: nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> imagine being, I've seen you just sitting there and this fucking a primate walks in the door. Yeah. And you're like, oh, here it is, here we go. Yeah,
0: so, no, go. I mean, it was it was such a, a um a suspicious situation but i'm i'm but i'm just i'm saying even with all those factors and that it, you know nothing was really came of the investigation around his death at least yet um mm-hmm. i assume that there someone must have put in uh more contingents and more levels of security for just lane i mean some you know i mean it, it may not be you know, there may be still definitely people plotting in some capacity to silence her whether that's through blackmail or through, you know, violence, but I assume there's got to be at least some echelon of the just system that was like, all right, we got to put safe holds in place this time.
1: Right, right. I mean, okay, now this is something that's interesting. I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, Ghislaine's father had um, <clears throat> a lot of connections to different intelligence agencies, like MI6 and Mossad. Mm. Uh, and that's just going along the lines, like, I'm sure you've heard the theory that um, Epstein was essentially, he was some intelligence operative that <laughs> was attempting to blackmail uh, all these powerful people. Uh, but, I mean, I, 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 in my opinion, I think that, that is, that's a reasonable statement. I don't think it's out in the question whatsoever um, that it was something along those lines.
0: I mean, I don't know. I, I think... I think he was just so impl- I think it'd be I think that's too easy of a of a situation. I mean, I think it's too I, I think it'd be nice, but I don't I don't know especially if you just sort of see the pattern of his behavior, especially like in terms of like what other people like him have done in the past. Right. I mean, it it didn't really seem like there was any uh end goal for his operations. Um, and I, I definitely don't think any government, even one that was like trying to blackmail the political elite would have just like been like, yeah, you can fuck some kids while you're doing it too. Like, I, I, I just don't (laughs) think like, even if we're talking like really fucked up, like Russian, Chinese, American, like PSYOP, like underground CIA type shit, I just don't think it'd go that far. Um, I mean, you know, who knows, but, uh, I, yeah, I, I think he's also, I think it was just, it was, he was too dumb and smart at the same time if that makes sense like i I don't think he had the the skills or the prowess or really the know-how to be an intelligence agent and he was also so dumb with like the the paper trail that he left and like how obvious they they were just like trafficking young women and fucking kids like just left and right and they, they there was really like not trying to hide it they were just kind of like you know like a buffer of money between them and the legal system right uh i think it was much more just sort of that like elite arrogance where they just don't believe they can get caught because they you know have so much power in the system um and have so many connections and so many you know like sort of in men who they can get favors from or that sort of stuff that there was any type of fear um Yeah, no, it's definitely a, a very polarizing situation. It'll be interesting to see how the trial ends up and whether Ghislaine does testify more on some of the uh you know, the 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 big uh masked people behind the operation or if she rats on anybody Because I don't I don't think she has really like admitted much or I think she's like denied everything so far. I'm pretty sure that's the path like she and her lawyer are going with to some extent. Like I think there's like they're admitting that like, like, the, like that she was like in contact with the women. I guess to some extent. That's from, I like I'm just like trying to remember what I read from the court documents because most of what I read was like witness testimony. I know she's te- I know she's been on the stand a couple times, but I don't remember the, uh, exactly what she said.
1: Right. Yeah. I I, I really am uh, very curious to see if anything gets revealed through this whole trial. If, if we learn anything substantial Yeah, I mean, I think the
0: the pilot stuff was pretty interesting. Yeah, um, that's true. Because he did that—that that was confirmation that like a lot of the people who were like in the black book, who were just kind of like, like we knew had like maybe been on the plane with with Epstein or like maybe flown to the island. The pilot was like, nah, these dudes definitely were like going there. And we're like, <laughs> um the pilot was like, I'm just. hope for the pilot pray for the pilot, live and his family's life. You know. Um, I was thinking we could um talk a little bit about um well, I, two topics here, but I guess we'll start with um Armenia and Azerbaijan um which have been going through a little bit more of a, a tumultuous uh conflict um uh, recently in light of the 40-day war that happened last year.
1: Right. So, what do you thinking? You think it's going to kick off there again, or is it just going to be skirmishes?
0: I mean, uh, I think all we've seen at this point is uh, more artillery fire as of late this past week or two. I know, um, obviously, and well, not obviously, I guess, for everyone, but uh, for context, um, Armenia and Azerbaijan are two countries in the Caucasus that are having a conflict over disputed territory uh Armenia is uh, an old ally of Russia uh, as is Azerbaijan but they're not currently aligned and uh, it's also the oldest christian nation on earth um uh, it's got a it's got a very rich history it's got a very rich people culture um you know i you know I, I mean i know some armenians i my family i you know i have an uncle who's not directly related to me by blood armenian Uh, He's pretty cool. Um, I know this is not like I'm not trying to put an anecdotal story. I'm just saying, um, you know, Armenians are pretty well known. Azerbaijanis, um, you might not know that one as much, especially if uh, if you're not as well informed on some issues in um, Europe and Eurasia. They have a relatively recent establishment in terms of uh, a state called Azerbaijan. Um, I think they were only gained independence following the collapse of the Soviet Union, really, and a lot of their legitimacy has come from their heavy backing by Turkey. Right, they've had a really interesting history with Iran. Actually, I was reading some slides uh, that someone had done that was detailing their history with Iran. They have a very, a very storied history with with Iran, but primarily uh, in recent years, they've gained military and political legitimacy from Iran or from Turkey, especially in their effort to reclaim what they say is rightful Azerbaijani land that has been occupied by armenians uh, for a a decent number of decades now and, and much longer in some circumstances um it is a bit of a an ethnic and religious conflict in some ways um i know i don't i know there's some differences in the ethnic groups primarily there's a lot of religious divides obviously Azerbaijan being a Muslim nation Armenia being a Christian nation um and also Azerbaijan being backed by Turkey which is very heavily um uh, islamic and has had mm. issues with Armenia in the past and then Russia on the other side of this uh being an orthodox uh you know state orthodox christian state you know backing Armenia I think recently, I mean, uh, we had, there was some skirmishes when Azerbaijan made another offensive, um, in the past month or two and they captured some Armenian soldiers and there was a lot of videos of torturing and beating and, uh, detention online from the Azerbaijani side of, of, of Armenian soldiers.
1: Right. Right. I mean, I, but a lot of, a lot of Turkey's backing of Azerbaijan comes from, uh, pan-Turkism. If I'm correct. Um, you know the idea cause I want to say, Azeris are uh, are technically like, ethnically Turks. Um, I could be wrong on that, but I do remember reading back whenever the whole Nagorno-Karabakh thing was really kicking off. I remember reading a lot about um, how Turkey's uh, you know support for Azerbaijan stemmed heavily from Pan-Turkism. So I mean, it it really is interesting. Um, the to see how much Turkey has been supporting them um, during this whole thing, mm-hmm. um, it's it, it you know other than like supporting them with you know logistics and supplying them with drones and stuff. what where where does Azerbaijan get most of their drones from? Because um, that's pretty much how they uh, were able to win the whole war.
0: Yeah, it was it was pretty much uh, Turkey and Israel actually. Yeah, that's what I thought, yeah. Yeah, I
1: thought yeah. Israel
0: probably. Yeah, they they were very. I remember specifically because there was a, a model of israeli drone that was really effective in blowing up uh armored vehicles and that was heavily utilized by Azerbaijan. so i'm looking at it now uh yeah so it is a, a really big ethnic conflict i mean um i not like it is a, a huge ethnic conflict but there's a big ethnic divide arm yeah the armenians are the one ethnic group that are very heavily dominant um Actually, it's very interesting. Apparently, there's more Azerbaijani Turks living in Iran than in Azerbaijan. Really? Yeah. It says there's about uh, anywhere up to 15 million living in Iran, but only about 8 million living in Azerbaijan. Oh, Yeah, that's interesting. Sure. Yeah. Um, but also, there's also a lot more people living in Azerbaijan than Armenia, even though they have... Azerbaijan, I think, is only slightly bigger than Armenia in terms of... Um, or Oh, no, it's actually significantly... I think... Hold on, I'm trying to look at the map here. Yeah, I mean, okay, yeah, it's actually about... It's like a little more than double the size of Armenia, but I, and, they, and I, I know their population is much more dense in some areas than Armenia. And also, the big thing is, of course, is that Armenia is, like, wedged in between Turkey and Azerbaijan, yeah. which creates yeah. this really tense situation because... Turkish troops will build up on the Armenian border when the Azerbaijanis are, you know, having an offensive. And there's even been, there was unconfirmed, um uh, well, unconfirmed only in that no one was able to literally confirm it, but there was Turkish jets seen assisting in the nagorno karabakh war, um, that were, I think unmarked, but they were like, all right, well, this is like a specific model of jet that only Turkey owns. So like, yeah, we know who's it. using it. it. Um, so there's a really tense situation, and, and Armenians feel very threatened by it in a lot of ways because they, it's you know, they're trapped between a, a rock and a hard place, especially in the south uh, with the region of Sounik, which is sort of it. okay, I should say to my people who actually know the situation, there's a province in Iran called East Azerbaijan, but there's also like literally an area there's like two different portions of Azerbaijan that are kind of not connected uh was it like contiguously there's like this little arm of like Armenian land that stretches out to Iran and there's like like a little like western like slice of Azerbaijan there not like it's not I don't think it's called that officially but it's like this little region that's sort of pocketed in between Iran and Armenia but it's not connected to the rest of Azerbaijan but that region is also what Azerbaijan wants to connect to, like, Azerbaijan proper or uh, other regions of Armenia that have been recently uh, occupied by Azerbaijan.
1: Yeah. And, and Armenia has been in, in the news a lot in these past two years with the whole Balkan conflict. We also had the US officially recognizing the Armenian genocide. Um, you know, it was definitely a big thing mm mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: that was um something that Turkey still denies happened, which is really cool
1: and not uh, totally <laughs> fucked up. Um, the yeah, I I got in a uh, Uber the other day. my yeah. driver was uh, he was Turkish, and uh, we just started talking. Um, I started just picking his brain about like his opinions on certain things, and we were talking about like, Atatürk and like all that all that stuff in Turkey's history. Um, and then I brought the car uh, I bought up armenian and Azerbaijan. Oh no! I, I, I mentioned I was like, "Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of rocking with old Armenia on this one." And dude got pissed. <laughs> yeah, he got like literally pissed at me. And he, he, oh, he flipped man. out. Like, no joke. Um, good thing to, I was like two minutes from my destination. So I was okay, good. Yeah. Dip out. I, I say that for the end of the ride. I just want to drop. Yeah, the car you just hop out you, the car.
0: you drop at the end. Uh, nagorno Korabak is Armenian. Jump out of the car. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no nah, yeah no it's um it's a really polarizing issue especially for the diaspora i remember um, especially i forget if it was in england or germany it actually might have been germany because i know that there's a lot of like turkish or turkic sort of ethnic groups there especially i know i mean i know there's a lot of actual turkish people uh, who are in germany but there's also a lot of like turkic groups there there was a lot of violence between armenians and Azerbaijanis uh but in in, in, really? in the in the in the diaspora, yeah. Um wow. during the conflict, like would there be like 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 or like there'd be like Armenians holding like a protest or like a rally and then like literally like like ho- like tons of um uh like Azerbaijanis would come to like instigate violence. And I think it also happened probably vice versa as well, I'm sure in some areas. I just think that because it was much more of like a humanitarian thing for um armenians who were protesting i think i don't i don't know necessarily how much they were starting the violence because that seemed unlikely in that situation but uh, i know i'm sure that went both ways um I, but it's interesting how much the diaspora of like ethnic or religious groups sometimes like takes on these like you know like wars that are like not even like like well, like why are you getting angry like these people yeah. are not even involved they're just like civilians like yourself they're not like involved with like, the government their choices but no, people
1: are silly hear me out hear me out here okay this is what i'm thinking armenia needs to go ahead and ally themselves with the kurds in northern iraq and then just take the eastern part of turkey that's what i'm thinking <laughs> in the future i feel like it's a viable option for, them, for sure
0: yeah i mean this um trying to think is there a a christian population in uh kurdistan
1: um i think there is um it's relatively small um i don't know i think all the christians that are in kurdistan aren't kurds though yeah that makes sense i don't i can't remember exactly because there there is like a a really historic like um christian village uh, in the kurdistan region i've forgotten the name of it but it's like a monastery or something Mm -hmm. along those lines
0: yeah, I mean, I mean, we should probably talk about it because I don't think we've brought it up on the podcast yet. Why don't you talk about your experience in Kurdistan?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, uh, as a kid, my uh, my parents were relief workers during the uh, during the Iraq War, um, and so um, yeah, I grew up in uh, northern Iraq. So for anybody listening that knows like Iraqi geography, um, I first lived in Kirkuk from two thousand three to basically two thousand seven. And then, after that um the two thousand seven like the insurgency kind of kicked up, and there was a lot of uh a lot of violence going on and so uh we then moved to Sulaimania, which is um closer to the Iranian border mm-hmm. which is yeah it's it's the interesting thing about Iraq and Kurdistan is um <sighs> Most of I okay, so when, when you hear talk of anybody like in the United States or pretty much anywhere in the West, and you mention Iraq, the first thing that kind of pops into your head is violence. Um, and understandably so. Um, the inter- the interesting thing is that, um, <clears throat> throughout the Iraq war, for the most part, after the initial invasion and then up until today, uh, the Kurdistan region of Iraq has been pretty peaceful, um, you don't really have you know, a lot of violence that's been going on in southern iraq uh, well you did have the whole you know whole thing with the isis offensive back you know in the mid-2010s and all i've been taking mosul and, but um yeah man grew up in that area of the world up with the kurds so it's, it's kind of funny now because i'm doing the whole you know geopolitical thing online and you know posting stuff about the world and it's it's insane i didn't realize how much um people that are into geopolitics like really admire the kurds um Some of them do, some of them do, Uh, but I didn't realize that that was a thing until, you know, about a year and a half ago when I hopped online and got got to chat with you guys.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, um, I'm trying to think about how I really got my start. It was was a number of factors, but definitely Afghanistan recently was um, one of the big things that made me get a little more interested in these topics and get a little more out of my comfort zone, at least with the
1: stuff I knew. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, Afghanistan, didn't they get into, this was like two days ago, We got into some beef with Iran on the border, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was,
0: so, I mean, I, I wrote up a little post about this, um, and from what I could find, it all seemed stemmed from basically the Iran, um, Iran, claiming that uh oh geez i was just looking at the questions i have i've got a ton of questions from people um that uh iran that, uh, that the taliban were f- opened fire on some iranian farmers that were crossing the border and that was what iran claimed and the taliban actually didn't say anything apparently but local sources uh claimed that it actually started when and this is unconfirmed local. This is like, as in local sources, as in a different open source intelligence was claiming that local sources uh, were saying this, that uh, it was actually when an Iranian detachment crossed the border and uh, were confronted by Taliban. And then that's when it was stopped. But how it ended either way was with the Taliban capturing two two Iranian border checkpoints. <laughs> um <laughs> and uh and uh tehran having to be like tehran is the, like the capital of, of iran and um you know sort of being like all right well we lost that one <laughs> and, and then and they kind of resolve the conflict um i think I, i'm i actually not sure if the border checkpoints have been returned to iran or if the taliban are still in control but yeah know it was an interesting little pop-off there and it, it definitely it speaks to the nature of of the taliban which i kind of feel like is fuck around and find out like you know they they kind of like it's this weird thing where they're like a legitimate state and recognized in a lot of ways by major countries obviously not western countries but still recognized by china and russia which is i mean in most books you know if you're recognized by two of the three world superpowers you basically got your foot in the door um you know but but a lot of the guys you know they're just they're just fighters, you know, and then they probably want to fight. You know, they joined the group, you know, they joined the Taliban to fight. Um, they're probably still itching for a fight since a lot of them didn't get to really fight <laughs> due to the fact that the Afghan National Army collapsed in like a week. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, they got pent up, you know, they a little bit, a pent up aggression, a little bit, you know, quick to... To escalate a situation I'm, I'm not speaking i'm not saying that iranian border guards are any different but i just think you know, especially looking at the taliban which were designated as a terrorist group for decades and you know a lot of the guys don't exactly have conventional military training or de-escalation training or really a good sense of like political boundaries or you know like diplomatic steps you know you know when you're in that type of situation it's much more likely to pop off with a group like the taliban in charge
1: Oh yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. You know, speaking of being, you know, recognized as a legitimate country, I feel like it really happens nowadays. Whenever you get your own emoji as a flag, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's what really happens. That yeah, was, yeah, that's well, what I was waiting for. I was like, yeah, for I'm so I, into uh, that. What what is it? What's the official name of Afghanistan now? Is it's it the, the uh, Emirates? Emirat, Emirat, yeah,
0: like yeah, the Islamic Emirates of Afghanistan.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: I'm still waiting for this. All right. I'm just going to – we're going to try to get through – these questions are pretty wordy because obviously they're all like, asked for conflict and geopolitical questions. So we're just going to try to like get through them with a couple of sentences probably. I'm not going to try to linger too quickly, too long at any of them. Um, let's see. Without help from the West except Poland, et cetera, does Ukraine stand a chance? And I'm assuming they mean against Russia. Um, I would say um No. If there was yeah. no Western support, they would not stand a chance against Russia.
1: Especially Belarus.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're fucked. I mean, it's you, you. Russia's if Russia really wanted to take over the country in a full offensive and there was no Western support, it would be a really grueling fight and it would probably stretch out for a long time and be very bloody and, and there'd be a lot of casualties, but Russia would definitely get the dub in that situation. Mm. Uh, what's the status of Ethiopia at the moment? Where is this all going to go future-wise? Um, based on what I can see, either the government makes concessions to, uh, the Tigray People's Liberation Front and the Oromo Liberation Army, and they f- somehow split up the government or split up power, uh, or they don't, and they get, uh, uh, dragged into just a long civil war between those three groups.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh... How long do you think humanity will last on Earth?
1: That's a more than a couple word answer right there.
0: All right, you have a couple
1: words. Uh, it depends. It depends. Um, you know, you yeah, have global warming as is an issue. Um, I I say if everything, I I think humanity itself like will always be probably humans unless there's like some insane nuclear holocaust. Will still be like scattered, you know, civilizations across mm-hmm. the world. Like Mad like, Max type shit. Yeah, exactly. But, like, you know, a collapse of, like, the world as we know it today, I feel like that it's, I'll give it maybe a 50 50 in the next, you know, 60, 70 years. Mm
0: hmm. I, I yeah, I, uh, it's hard because I, I see things from a very much like a historical perspective, which is why I try to look at the things in the context of, like, what has happened, you know, a hundred or a thousand years before this. And as a result of this, what's going to happen, in like, a hundred or a thousand years. Uh but I definitely think we 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 still got a we still got a good couple of years in the tank. I don't know how long uh before those years in the tank are spent maybe a little closer to the waterfront <laughs> yeah. or with uh, you know, like some more extreme weather situations, but I definitely don't think uh we're gonna be all uh dead and off in space soon. I also think people don't understand how space colonization works in a lot of ways. This is like this like I think there's a misconception that like once we get to the Moon or to Mars, there's just gonna be like this mass migration of people. Like there's gonna be like these colonists that are gonna go off in every direction. And what people don't realize, I think, is that it's gonna be a very small amount of colonists. Probably not even like you know, if we're talking about the colonization of even our entire solar system, I wouldn't say more than like tens to maybe a hundred thousand people. And then from there, those colonies are gonna grow. Uh, right. but it's definitely not going to be like we're all going to get a ticket off earth it's literally just going to be the people who are either smart or rich enough to get off right. uh, which I, th- I think is like a, a big problem people are like oh I'm, you know we're all going to move to mars when elon musk is like no nah. the rich people are going to go and build a utopia there and they're going to you know <laughs> be able to have their nice little uh private planet but you're not getting there buddy unless you're like a scientist or like a maybe a really good bio farmer speaking uh,
1: of like super evil supervillains like
0: yeah, fucking island, bro. We're going the whole planet. Out. Yeah, exactly. Elon Musk watched James Bond and he said, I need to think of... This is like... <laughs> this is small scale. I need to think bigger. <laughs> i one
1: up this. We're colonizing mines. Yeah.
0: And then he gets the asteroids, gets infinite money glitch, you know, just by mining some asteroids full of gold and, <laughs> like, fucking rare earth metals. Yeah. Uh, excluding water, food, and oil, what are top resources you can see major conflicts over? Um, I w- I would actually... I mean, what we're just talking about, space. I think um, there's so many resources floating among asteroids and um, in different planets. And just within like immediate reach, I think once different countries and corporations start uh, divvying up space and uh, resources from space, I think there's going to be a lot of conflicts on who owns what and who has what mining rights or what land rights. Like, I mean, how do you figure out... I mean, obviously, there's already... Been like some treaties by the UN on like and like other organizations on like who gets what land on like the moon and Mars. You know, I'm basically saying that like I think it's like only scientific land or whatever. There can't be like military. But you know that's not going to work. I mean, you know, like you you give China or the U.S. or Russia five to ten years, and you know they're going to have like fucking sentry turrets on those bitch. You know.
1: Oh yeah.
0: Um. Aside from that, probably. Well, see aside from water food and oil i mean land is always a, a big resource that's fought over um that are just different types of like individual like minerals that are really dependent for technology um or like different type of scientific advancement that are found in only like certain areas of land like especially africa in the middle east yeah. Yeah. what armed conflict in the world today that isn't getting enough coverage Hmm, yeah i would say ethiopia too that um or yemen um or uh i would say the spread of uh islamic militant violence across like central and north africa i think some people are aware of it who are kind of like more in that like those circles but a lot of people aren't aware that it's just this rampant like and it's not even like islamic terror in a way because it's such a different scenario than they're all branches of the islamic state or isis as a lot of people know them which is the islamic state of um uh iraq and um syria yeah and uh there's also uh isil which is the islamic state of iraq and Lebanon but there's all these different groups i mean there's ice cap islamic state central africa province there's ISWAP, um is uh, you know islamic state um west africa province uh there's you know there's they are all over and a lot of them aren't recruiting muslims uh actually but instead criminals who are just looking for an excuse um you know these are not like very religiously or politically motivated groups as you have in the middle east these are much more crime and violence oriented groups who simply want to loot and pillage and rape and then have an excuse um, and also an international funding organization uh, because the money that goes in between these groups, especially when talking about like human trafficking, ransoms, drug trafficking, all the ways that ISIS makes their money, uh, they share it with like the other networks. Um, so it's kind of like this way where they're just kind of like it's literally like they, they'll just like free a prison and they'll, like prison break and then like recruit like like half the dudes like any anyone from like a common thief to like a rapist or a murderer like it's they're just recruiting criminals basically because they know they're desperate and are will like take the opportunity to like carry a gun and like go burn down a village or something right um, yeah ethiopia definitely uh let's see. will the syrian democratic forces hold off a turkish offensive um, and the, the Syrian Democratic Forces are, th- are those including the Kurds? I always forget. I think so,
1: right? Yeah, uh, I am also forgetting this one.
0: Uh, yeah, so the Syrian there—it's like the YPJ.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it, it's all the different. It's like the alliance of the YPJ. Kurdish, Arab, Assyrian, Syriac, as well as some smaller Armenian, Turkmen, and Chechen forces.
1: Some Chechen.
0: Yeah, and Chechens are chilling in Kurdistan, bro.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, the Chechens are there. Turkey's got no chance. Yeah, exactly. They're fucked.
0: Um, yeah, that's an, yeah. Um, let's see what's their what's their manpower look like. Uh, is there any kind of estimation? I know, I mean I know the I know the I know they did really well against ISIS or ISIL. Um and uh they like pushed them out of the region basically. I mean that was like a big reason ISIS collapsed or ISIL or ISIS, you know, the Islamic State collapsed in parts of the Middle East was because of the work of the SDF. Right. But against Turkey, I mean Turkey's got a lot of drones, man. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah, I can't find any numbers for their uh military. I mean, if we're just talking about in terms of like military experience or like ability to fight, I think that definitely they're well trained and and well organized to a lot of ways i mean they've been fighting um tight you know guerrilla type you know unconventional conflict for a long time against especially you know including turkish uh, occupation forces in syria um i don't know against a full offensive though just because i know there has been areas they've been pushed back in when the turks like really wanted to seize you know i mean turkey has a pretty extensive military and they're pretty well funded in a lot of ways you know a guerrilla group can do a lot but not if it's only in a localized region of the area and especially since they don't really have the support of the uh syrian arab army which is the army of like the government of syria Um, the increase of conflict if, uh, see, okay. I I guess this person's asking, I guess, is there going to be an increase of conflict, uh, between Mexican cartels and like their presence in the United States and other countries?
1: Uh, I would say it's, there, yeah, there might be an increase in conflict, but it would be more on the lines of you know, law enforcement. Be, you know, mm-hmm. you know, like a small cartel cell or something along those lines. It wouldn't be anything outright like you have in Mexico. I don't think it's in the best interest of the cartels um, at all to have it happen. I mean, they will do whatever they want to do in Mexico. Not whatever they want to do, but you know what I mean? Oh, I mean, yeah, the no, they get States, control. Yeah, but in the United States, I feel like they're trying to keep it. You know, it, It's their market, so...
0: Yeah, you definitely don't want to piss off the DEA. That's a that's a quick way to get your yourself fucked. Um Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I you know, Mexico, the cartels have great influence within both the military, the police, the government, you know, all aspects of law enforcement. They really have their fingers in the pie deep, especially when it comes to the legal system. And um you know, not to say that there isn't, you know, law and order in some parts of Mexico that, you know, people aren't prosecuted or cases aren't brought to trial, et et cetera, people aren't arrested. But it's just that the fact that there is so much corruption and bribing going on that it really, you know, it doesn't really give them an incentive to try to, you know, build in other areas. However, to, you know, to add on to that, I have seen in the past, like, decade or so that there has been, Uh, An increase in Mexican, or I mean, I guess I don't even know if it's cartel. I'm assuming it's cartel because I mean, they were like organized crime members in California who had lots of different uh, cannabis grow sites Um, and that they were thinking it was because they were trying to get product faster. Yeah, like to the like you know americans so they were setting up like it was almost like like forward operating bases of like <laughs> cannabis like grow sites um that were like literally just like in the middle of like the forest out in old all across actually not only just socal but in nocal too i there were like there was literally like in the redwood forest in northern, northern california mm-hmm. they people like someone just stumbled across like this camp that was just filled with like um, these armed like cartel dudes who had, like AKs and you know like we're like all speaking Spanish and stuff and um, and I actually I don't, I don't I don't I just don't remember what happened with that story but I I know that there has been circumstances like that where people have stumbled across these cartel sites you know either just going through the desert or through um, the forest or other areas so I definitely think that uh, they have a presence but it's definitely as you said I don't think it's going to be an escalatory thing because they don't want to piss you know i mean you know you just don't want to fuck with the u.s uh, it's only going to get more escalatory more violence and they're already dealing with you know the mexican military and the police in whatever capacity that you know they're not being um controlled i remember like some crazy videos i've seen you know of like you know you see like the the mexican uh army gunships like m- you know like uh blanketing an area with like <laughs> like minigun fire and then it like cuts like the perspective of like the cartel dudes who are just like chilling in a trench, listening to like mariachi music while you hear like just minigun bolts ripping through the forest around them. No, um, I, nah, I mean, it, yeah, it's great. And, and if you especially look at some of these cartels, like um, the CN or the uh, CG or oh, fuck, it's the, it's the cartel Jalisco Nuevo generation, like the cartel of Jalisco new generation. It's, it's like, right. CJ CJ NG I think um, they're really like one of the biggest like presences in I mean the Jalisco region obviously but um, within Mexico they I think they're one of the most dominant cartels I mean among others like the Sinaloa cartel which but I do think which has lost I think if I remember correctly has lost power um, recent in recent years Um, but I mean there's a lot there's like I I think close to like there's dozens and dozens and dozens of different cartels and factions and alliances and um you know different sort of uh groups are like well you know if you know we'll align with you to take out this other group and um, temporary sort of you know backstabbing type shit i mean it's all over the place it's cartels um i definitely think uh it's interesting if you aspect the or if you inspect the aspect of how much they're Contributing to like the opioid crisis, though, I do think mm-hmm. that this could become more of an issue in recent, in in, in possibly the recent, you know, the soon to be future, if there is more of a crackdown on opioids in the United States, there could be in the same way that when cannabis was legalized in a lot of the U.S., if opioids are legalized to some extent or like decriminalized or, um, you know. It, there's more like, you know, treatment centers or like free samples, you know, that sort of stuff, you know, safe access to help right. people either like deal with their addictions or find rehab, um, you know, or if like, you know, companies just stop getting people hooked to oxides and shit um, that the 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 market will change just in the same way that when cannabis was legalized and recreate, you know, uh, or decriminalized in a lot of the U.S. how the, the market changed a lot, too, because they had to find new product, you know, they had to find new cash crop. And, and, you know, Mexican weed, honestly, just isn't selling as well in the U.S., not only because of its quality, but just because of how, you know, far it is from grower to, you know, seller. Um, yeah. So it's definitely lost power. And I think a similar thing could happen with opioids. I think an interesting thing is, uh, this is just a, a side note to comment on, which I don't think a lot of people are aware of, is uh, the, the Chinese connection when looking at the opioid market, um, which is that. There are a number of Chinese corporations and chemical companies that sell some of the precursors for the synthetic fentanyl uh, that is produced in Mexico and distributed throughout the U.S., which leads to a lot of what when you see like these fentanyl overdoses on TV or parts of the opioid crisis is really, um, you know, uh, continuated and uh, perpetuated by uh this fentanyl production often synthetic uh, within mexico which is uh you know per- uh, in in itself perpetuated by these chinese corporations which are selling the precursors often to shell companies or even in some cases apparently directly to the cartels themselves uh because they're you know and of course all these are in some way sanctioned by china because china's aware of a lot of the business dealings that its corporations does but is not obviously concerned with the health of Americans (laughs) and probably actually kind of sees it as a win. Um, uh, Which is not to say that, um, you know, I don't think the CIA wouldn't do the other thing (laughs) around, except that drugs are so heavily banned in China and on lockdown that I don't think you could even get that. You, You couldn't even really poison the drug supply because anything that exists is already have some crazy laws actually was reading about the like the whole you know like you know like drug analogs like how they like make new versions of drugs by changing a couple of the yeah, molecules yeah, yeah, yeah. and they can kind of, like apparently in china unlike the u.s where like drug analogs are banned so if like if you have like lsd for example you can't like make a chemical which is like just like lsd but a little bit different and like sell it because they're like already banned preemptively because it's like a type of LSD. But in China, all of them have to be banned individually. So what this allows uh, illegal drug manufacturers to do, often who sell online to Europe or to the United States, is just mass-produce these analogs, which are often more and more increasingly dangerous, because what happens is they'll ban one version, and then the... You know, the drug smugglers will start making another version and they'll ban one version, they'll start making another version. And every other version they make, it just gets more and more mixed with other chemicals right. and like other molecules, and yeah, just degeneratively worse. Uh, not a good solution, to their problem. But uh yeah, I mean I think uh we're gonna look close to the end here. Um, do you want to do some of the uh the favorite things like we did uh, last time? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so I think we'll guess we'll start with I think we did favorite uh, historical leader first, and then we did favorite war.
1: Okay. Um, let me pick. Favorite? Or I'll do favorite war. Um, what did I do last time? I think I did war in Yugoslavia. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'll probably have to say this time. I probably have to go with ones that interest me. One that interests me, I'll go with the First World War. Um, Another conflict is kind of not always overlooked as much as you know, but, um, it, It's one that's you know it's kind of like World War two's little brother, um, but I still think the you know the implications that it had are you know, incredible, obviously. But also, it's also really interesting if get into it. So I'll go with that, and then uh, favorite leader. Let me think. Ooh, this one will be controversial. I'm gonna say, and this isn't because I necessarily admire like who they are or. Um, where I agree with what he did, I'm gonna go with Ernesto Che Guevara. So Che Guevara. Instead.
0: I think I think I think you went with Che Guevara last did week, I? actually. Yeah. yeah. Oh, see, <laughs> or... He's in my head. He's in my.
1: He's in your mind, bro. I got I got I got, familiar... I got his auto. I got his bio. Biological... <laughs> <laughs> that makes
0: sense. He's in your mind. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um. Let me think. That's what else would I want to do? Who Who would I want? All right. All right. I'm just gonna throw old Winston Churchill in there. Or actually, I'm gonna change that. I'm gonna go with um. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Joseph Stalin. Um, not because I would, like, actually agree with what he did, but I think that more along the lines of like you know the implications that he had geopolitically, mm-hmm. um, that's what I'm choosing.
0: Yeah, no, uh, I feel that. Um, let's see. I think for war, because I was uh, reading about it recently, I'm going to go with the uh, the Anglo-Afghan Wars uh, when the, okay. when Britain tried to invade Afghanistan. It's uh, some interesting conflict, definitely and uh, it
1: was in the,
0: uh late 1800s, right? yeah it was like the same time they were like having kind of like the zulu wars Uh yeah. it was like the same period um yeah also interesting that's the backstory of uh dr watson from sherlock holmes that's how he gets uh his and and it's interesting because in the new sherlock holmes tv show they made him get his wound from the afghanistan war but originally oh. in the in, in the Conan in the in the, in the um uh, sir, you know Sir Arthur Conan Doyle books is from the uh, Second Afghan War. It's an interesting little connection, oh, but uh, those are some definitely interesting conflicts to read about. And for political leaders, I think I'm going to go have to go with uh, Alexander the Great. Uh, you know, just united a massive empire um, across um, in the Middle East and you know, uh, Persia and you know, all these, these massive expanses of land that he just conquered at such a young age um and then he died and they all fucked it up afterwards <laughs> and then just like totally splintered the state and like immediately after he like died and passed it on apparently also i think like his he was supposed to pass it on to his son and then like one of his generals just like killed his son uh yeah, it was a lot of messed up stuff that happened but uh yeah i think i have to go with alexander the great i think he's a pretty good uniter and um uh, just a really interesting history i remember reading about him in some of my classes I used to have yeah alright Um, I think we're gonna probably end it there for today uh, I think we it's a good second podcast talked about a lot of good subjects yeah. Um, thank you guys for listening to Militant Muckrakers um, I was also thinking at this point we should probably like uh, plug our social media I guess for people yeah. who are not aware
1: yeah so if you want to check out where I post most of my work right now um, check out the filthy American two on Instagram. Um or if you already follow our wars, you could uh, just you know, probably find me on his following list. But
0: yeah. Yeah, uh same thing for me if you follow the filthy American. Um if if you have to type my name into the search bar, you're probably gonna have to type it all the way out. Uh <laughs> because I'm still shadow banned, I believe. That's our wars today. Uh all one word, all lowercase um but yeah thank you guys for listening uh thank you filthy for joining me and uh we'll see you guys next week